So today we are taking a hiatus from Amos. We are going to jump into the book of 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open your Bible to 1 John. And we're going to be in uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Okay? But before we get started, let's talk about what we're kind of talking about today. Today we're talking about love. And love has many, many, many faces. And it's interesting uh, to see how a child will define love. A group of professionals, they went through and they polled a bunch of uh, four to eight-year-olds and posed them with the question is, what does love mean? And the answers you get are a lot more um, broad and deeper than you would ever imagine. So here's a couple of them. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most your french fries without making them give you in theirs return. Love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip of it before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. <laughs> love is in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. That's a five-year-old. Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt even though he wears it every day. <laughs> love is when a puppy licks your face even after you left them alone all day long. This one really strikes home with me. When, grand, when my grandmother got arthritis and she couldn't bend over to paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather did it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. So it's, it's one thing to get a child's perspective on love. It's an entirely different thing or even better thing to get God's perspective on love. And that's what we're talking about here today. Several times in scriptures, God gives us his thoughts on love. He does it in Song of Solomon's. He does it in 1 Corinthians. He does it in 1 John. Okay? Uh, John has addressed uh, the subject of love already in verses 2, uh, 7 through 11. He's all, as an indication as one is walking in the light of God's love. But he also goes more in depth here in chapter 4, 7 through 21. He gives us his most full and complete explanation. And as he does, he puts the question before all of us, how's your love life? Well, I like to turn that around a little bit because I'm a baseball player. As you can tell, I like baseball. So I'm going to ask you, what base are you on? Okay? So as we go through this, he's going to give us a very, very complete description of what God's love is. And he's also going to show us a lot about the nature and the character of God as well. So if you would, please stand in the honor of reading of God's word. And we're going to read this particular passage. I'm reading from the New King Germs Version, um, just because that's the one I like for this sermon. And let's go ahead and get the translation um, conversation over with. Do you know what the number one translation of the Bible is? The one you're going to read. Okay? So as that being said, we're reading from New King James today. Beloved, let us love one another, for the love for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation or a satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the ability to be here in your house, God, to be with other believers, to go through this passage and learn more about the character of love and learn more about you, God. We ask that you would touch each one of our hearts and help us to serve and love others. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. Please be seated. So let's make one thing clear before we even get going on this whole thing, okay? If you are conceived in the womb, if you are knitted by his hands, if you are born and you are alive, you get to bat, all right? Everybody gets up to bat, all right? It says very clearly in God's word that in 1 Timothy, he says, it is good and pleasing in the sight of our God Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So um, I wish I could remember who said this, but you can either get busy living or you can get busy dying. But you're going to get busy one way or the other. Okay? So guess what? You're up to bat. Batter up. So first base, now we get there, is you're going to know the love of God, is knowing the love of God. A biblical love is very specific. All right? In verse 7, it says, The word love dominates 4, 7 to 5, 3, and it shows up 43 different times in this particular book. Um, John is basically your expert in love when it comes to scriptures. Uh, whereas Paul's the apostle of faith, James the apostle of works, Peter's the apostle of hope, John is the apostle of love. This is when I really wish I had a really deep, very white voice, you know, <laughs> the love doctor. But when you're a tenor, it just doesn't work, Okay. All right, so John 4, 7, he begins it with beloved. Uh, the Greek word there is agapeteo. Uh, dear friends is translated in some translations. And it's a term of tenderness. Uh, and it's also a term of transition because he just got done talking about false prophets. And now he's transitioning into love. So he uses that agapeteo to transition. Um, John's overall discussion has a double peak in this passage in 4, 8 and 4, 16, where he says, God is love. That, that's your, your, your big take-home moment. God is love, all right? So there's a couple of things about uh, first base and knowing the love of God and how, how specific it is, but biblical love is a personal responsibility. It is a very much a personal responsibility. Verse 7 says, let us love one another. Us is plural, okay? Love is a pretense. One another is a personal and reciprocal the command occurs three times in verse 21, 721. Remember when you're in school and your teacher says something three times, it's going to be on the test? Well, it's going to be on the test, okay? Us means you, us means me, okay? When I point my finger at you, there's three more coming back at me, all right? So us is you, us is me. I can't love others for you no more than you can love others for me. It's something that we all need to be doing, no exceptions, no strings attached, no contractual clauses of escape. Where's my lawyers? Okay. But it's a very much a personal responsibility. It's your job. You have to do it yourself. Okay. And you have to actively make that decision. Um, I was told somebody a while back that I'd love being a pastor if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> That's not true. Not sure. Well, maybe not. Anyways, biblical love is a personal responsibility. It's also a comprehensive responsibility, okay? It's got to be very, very detailed. I'm not a detailed person. I'm a, a big picture kind of guy. So I have to work very hard at the details for this. Um, the Greek word for this particular one another is aleos, and John specifically has it in mind the way Christians should believe, behave and treat others, Okay? Um, we should love all of them all the time in every conceivable direction. All right, this next part's a little laborious, so hold on to your seats. Not all of us should love some of them all the time. 
Not all of us should love some of them some of the time. Not all of us should love all of them some of the time. Not some of us should love some of them some of the time. Told you it was comprehensive. Not some should love some all the time. Not some should love all some of the time. Not some should love all all the time. Here we go. Here's the one. Ready? All of us should love all of them all the time. Okay? It's something that we need to be doing all the time to everyone. Uh, there, there's people in this world you're, you're just not going to like. There's going to be oil and water, okay? If you have that situation, add a little soap, and guess what? They go right together. Soap's your catalyst. In this particular situation, Christ is your catalyst, okay? Through Christ, you can get along with anyone. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 tells us, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So knowing that Christ is your savior, is your first base. Second base is growing in God's love. Okay? First you have to know about him, then you've got to grow, on, grow in him. Okay? Biblical love is supernatural. Well, John knew that we cannot love people all the time. All the people all the time. Is, is not in us. Uh, people will say, your children, they're, they're so sweet and they don't have a, an, an ounce of, of uh, evil in them. Yeah, right. Put a baseball right there and two boys and see who fights. Okay? It's, I have four kids. I can, I can get away with that one. All right? So, but John knew that we couldn't do it on our own strength and ability. Um, it tells us in John 4, talking about the greater one, the greater one who keeps us safe from the Antichrist and from the evil and the false teachers He's also the one who enables us to love, okay? Loving God's way is a witness and provides an evidence of two very, very wonderful truths. One, God is love. It shows that you're born of God because love is of God. You are born of God. Love has its source in God and flows like a river out of a natural flowing spring. Has anybody ever been swimming in a spring before? I'm from Florida. we got springs all over the place there. And it never dawned on me how much water actually comes out of those springs until you dive in and try to swim down to the bottom. Keep in mind, it's like hundreds of and hundreds of feet deep. But that flow of water is just rushing out. And you're trying to swim and swim and swim, and you can't go against it. And it pushes you right out. Well, guess what? God's love is exactly the same way. It's flowing so hard that it's futile to resist it. It's there for every single person. Okay. Everyone who loves others with a divine type of love, they give proof of their new birth, of being saved. Um, there are some other religions out there that believe you have to work your way to heaven. Okay? Scripture doesn't say that. You, you get to heaven by having your faith in Christ. Your works and your love are byproducts of that faith. Okay? Only... Only God is the one who has, basically only those who are born of God can have God's nature. And you receive God's nature when you're born again, born from above, born of God. The divine birth precedes our ability to love in a God-like fashion. Love does not impart divine love. Love indicates divine love. Okay? So your love is an indicator that you have Christ in you. Loving others God's way, God's way also shows that you know God, all right? Born in this particular um, 
passage is a, pre, uh, pre, uh, a perfect tense. No is a pretense or a continuous action. So what they mean in, in the Greek translation of this is that being born again is not something, okay, I'm done, I'm moving forward. You need to constantly recall that in your mind, what God has done for you. He has stripped away that sin, and you are a new being. That's what they mean by the born there. And to have, um, to have that the ability to be able to love in a godlike fashion is something we don't need to forget. So it's a continuous action, having been born again. You need to keep, you keep that in your mind, keep knowing that, and keep growing in the knowledge and the understanding of him, especially the truth that he is love. God is love in verse 8. It, it simply teaches us a lot about the nature of God. He is an active, living, personal being. He is intimate in everyone's life. God is love. It complements a lot of other statements that are beautiful about God as well. Um, in John 4, 24, it says, God is spirit. Hebrews 12, 29, he is a consuming fire. He is a light. He's true. Listen to this one, okay? And I can't claim this one. I got this out of a journal. Because God is love, he works against whatever works against love. Let me say that again. Because God is love, he works against whatever is working against love. Okay? It's that repelling. It's that light in the darkness working against that darkness. Love does not define God, but God does define love. Those who have been born of God know God, and we know he knows that we are God's children. God's children have God's nature. Uh, <laughs> my son, I love him to death, but he's got my nature. Oh, God help us. Okay? But if we have God's love, we get God's nature. We get that ability to love. Okay? God's children, therefore, will love. Ephesians 3.17 says, That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, that is, the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up, grow up in all things in him who is the head, the Christ, from the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does his share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And then Philippians um, 1.8 says, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all the affection or love of Jesus Christ. And I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. So first base is knowing, second base is growing. Anybody got any ideas what third base is? I heard it. Showing. Showing the love of Christ. Biblical love is seen. In verses 9 and 10. Oftentimes, I believe that when we fail to show God's love, we fail because we have not thought correctly about what God has done. We have not thought exactly how to love in His fashion. Um, a lot of times when I'm counseling couples, I will tell them, okay, are you thinking of this person? 
Are you thinking of this person? Are you putting the other person ahead of your own needs? That's love. A lot of times, most times, conflict um, couples come from selfishness. You're stepping on my toes, Brian. Okay? If we love exactly how God has done, then guess what? Everything works out. There are two verses which are at the heart of the gospel and of God are laid right here before us. Verse 9 says, God sent his son that we might live. We've heard some things very similar to this in John 3.16, also 1 John 3.16. In this, it looks forward to what follows. The love of God was manifested or made clear, evident, revealed or shown to be so. Towards who? Towards us. Sinners, the lost, the helpless, the depraved, the unworthy sinners. God sent his only begotten son, the one and only in some translations, son into the world. The world is our sphere that we live in, that we might live, have a spiritual life through him and no others. There is not Christ and. Okay? There is Christ. That is your only way. Uh, a lot of people don't like to hear that. Okay? But that is what Scripture teaches. That is God's Word. Sent implies the preexistence and the fact that God came on a mission with a purpose as a representative of another. The perfect tense emphasizes the initial and singular coming with the abiding and continual effects of his coming. So wrap your brain around this one. Jesus knew about the cross before there was a tree. Think about that for a second. He knew what he would have to do before there was even a world. In the beginning, God created. Before, in the beginning, he knew it was there. Okay? That just always blows my mind. Only begotten, um, the Greek word for that monogenus, occurs nine times in the New Testament, and five of those times are in John. Only John uses the term to refer to the Son of God, and it speaks of his deity and his utter uniqueness. Now, when I was a youth pastor up in Delta Junction, my students asked me, okay, one of them was in statistics, so that's how it kind of came up, what is the probability of Christ actually being the Messiah? I said, that's a good question. Let's find out. So we went through this. It took us several weeks, several more than several, probably nine or ten weeks, to get through this. And I remember an article that I read by um, Dr. Peter Stoner. Okay, don't get caught up on the name. All right. He went through and he researched eight of the 61 prophecies. What are the statistics that the, Jesus could fulfill just eight of the specific prophecies? Okay. He said it was 1 and 10 to the 21st power. Okay, for just eight of them, not all 61, just eight of them. All right, and then let, let's, let's kind of put this in some context here, okay? You know what a silver dollar is, right? Or am I telling my age? Okay, silver dollars are about this big around. Okay, take silver dollars, stack them 120 feet high, and place them on every surface of the earth. Okay, then take one of those silver dollars, color it red, and bury it somewhere on the earth. All right? Then put a blindfold on and search the earth and find that one red silver dollar. That's the same probability 
that someone else, that Christ is the Messiah. Okay? He is utterly unique. Okay? John 3.35 says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. In, in the um, previous verse, it talks about the Son, and he talks about it with a term of endearment, uh, a Father's love, uh, the joy of his heart, the one he loves like no other. You know, um, I thought I understood that until I had my son. And, and when he was born, it just really just a V8 moment, okay? It was there. And how, how could God send his precious baby, his precious son, to die for me? You know, I'm a good person, right? Maybe not. But that really hits home when you're a father. So, but I will say the girls are the best. All right. So anyways, not to take away from my son at all. So, to live through him. Live now and forever and live through him and no other. There is no spiritual life for anyone who does not come by Christ and his cross. Such a statement is not very popular, and it grows less and less popular in today's society. Okay? But it is the truth. God sacrificed his son to show us how to love. It's God's nature to love and to give. It is not our nature. We have to learn from God. Um, today, people reject Jesus as the only Savior, Today, people find it repulsive, the idea that God would sacrifice his son. All right? There's a, hold on to this one, okay? Self-identified post-Christian lesbian theologian. Yeah, like I said, hold on. She says, claims that Jesus' death is the ultimate in child abuse and a model for a human child abuse. And she says, I can no longer worship in a theological context that depicts God of an abusive parent and Jesus as the obedient, trusting son. She declared, she really needs to read the Bible, okay? God's word sees this all together differently, okay? In this looks forward, um, like in verse 9, what to follows, his love is shown, proven, or demonstrated. That's the purpose of the cross. It's in that demonstration. The initiative was of God, not of us, okay? We, we were not born knowing how to love. We have to learn that. Okay, you guys ever heard of the Adam gene? The one gene that every single human has in common? Um, when I was in Texas, I worked on the Human Genome Project, and we were sequencing genes, and this one gene popped up on every single sample we had. And come to find out, they call it the Adam gene. Because that's, in my opinion, this is not Dr. Brian, in my opinion, that's proof that we came from a single source. Well, what about Eve? There was a mom and a dad. Well, where did Eve come from? Adam. Adam. So they had the same genetic makeup. Sorry, rabbit trail. So he loved us before we loved him. He loved us when we did not know how, did not even know him, didn't know how to love. God sent his son as a propitiation or a satisfaction of our sins. The purpose in sending his son was not the incarnation or becoming human. It was the atonement to cover our sin. The purpose in sending his son was not our education, but our salvation. Not that we should learn about him, but that we should live for him. The purpose in sending his son is not that we should live, but that we should die. 
Amazing grace, how can it be that you, my king, should die for me? One of my favorite, favorite hymns. Our nature is to sin. God's nature is to love and send. I had to enunciate that D on the end there. Send. So there's a big churchy word in there called propitiation. Okay? The word means to turn away the wrath of God by means of an offering. In ancient pagan religions, human worshipers made offerings to appease an angry deity. Okay? And the New Testament knows nothing of this. In Christ, God himself made that satisfaction or the atonement, and he offered himself in his Son. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. So let's kind of talk about that word propitiation for a minute. Okay? Propitiation teaches us that God personally hates sin. Okay? It teaches us that sin is serious. It teaches us the greatness of God's love in which he provided the offering to turn away his wrath. It teaches us the truth that Christ's death satisfied the Father and was substitutionary. He stepped in our place for our sin. We will all stand judgment before God, but if we have Christ in our life, the only thing he's going to see are the good things. All the sins Jesus is covering. Propitiation teaches us that God's holiness requires satisfaction. God's love provided that satisfaction. For the wages of sin is death. Okay? But because Christ took that for us, from us, for us, we don't have that any longer. It has been satisfied. All right, so we know, we grow, we show. How do we show, you ask? Well, funny you should ask. Open up your bulletins and there's several things there. This is my shameless plug, okay? How do we show areas of serve? Several ways. Here in the church, here in our local body, we have a lot of different places to serve. Our setup and teardown, our children and our tech team. Three very, very, very integral parts to making this church work, okay? We need hands. Uh, but, but I don't know how to do that. You have hands. You have feet. My six-year-old was here putting chairs down this morning. Okay? Um, you can do anything you want to do. That's a quote from my mother. Okay? Sherry Whitson. You can quote that. You do anything that you want to do. Okay? So there's lots of opportunities here in the local church. You can serve in the care corps. This is our new ministry. I'm the care pastor. This is... Uh, my brainchild, and I cannot take any credit for this, but CARE stands for Christ-like assistance and relief for everyone. Christ-like assistance and relief for everyone. In that, we have three different teams, and I'm recruiting every single one of you because everybody has a skill. Everyone has something they can contribute to the body of Christ, okay? Uh, Bible calls them spiritual gifts, right? If you were born of Christ, you have a spiritual gift. And we all work together for edifying of the body, lifting up the body. Amen? Amen. Yes. Yes. Everybody do this. Okay. Good. So the purple team, uh, basically, if you were able to help somebody with physical needs, they've got a broken dryer, they've got a broken down car, they need some food because they've got three kids and they're all sick and the mom's getting sick now, guess what? You can help out with a physical need. Um, uh, what else is there? There's so many different physical needs you can think of. Mine's drawn a blank, but you know what they are, okay? 
direct discipleship, the blue team. Um, this is basically, you're going to find somebody, you're going to latch arms with them, and you're going to walk through life with them. This is not, okay, we're going to do a 12-week period, and after that 12 weeks, you're on your own. No, you are with them for life, for as long as they want you, okay? They're like, oh, I'm done with you, mm, okay? But point of this is to have that direct discipleship. Um, some of you may know my testimony, but I was saved in the seventh grade in the band room, okay? I was not raised in a Christian home. Mom and dad, we went bowling and playing golf on Sundays. That was our thing. You know, I got a great backswing here. But point is, God saw fit to allow all my friends to be Christians in the band room. And I prayed in the band room that day because I knew I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. But then what? I went home and I opened up my Bible of a translation I'm not fond of, but it's still a good translation. And I did not understand a single word. So it wasn't until 10th grade when I could drive that I started going to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. That was the cool club to be in. Went every week and that became my discipleship. That's when I really started. That's when I got to second base. Okay, I started growing in the Lord at that time. I didn't have someone to walk with me through that. And that is very, very integral to Christian growth, having that somebody. The orange team is relational needs. And this, um, I stole this uh, definition because it was so much better than the one I came up with. The concept of relational ministry is simple. Relationships are at the heart of true conversion. In order to bring people to the relationship with Christ, we must be willing to engage relationships with them ourselves. Pick up the phone. Hey, Josh, how you doing? How's your day? The only reason I'm saying Josh is because I'm looking at him. Okay? God will put people on your heart to call. You think, but I, I don't know anybody. Pray. I guarantee if you ask God, put somebody on my heart that I can pray for and I can touch base with, it has never failed me. Okay? And it won't you either. Holy Spirit works through everybody. But I have to tell you, I am God's favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Just to clarify, God has enough love that everybody is his favorite. But I'm still his favorite. Okay. The relational team is an evangelical team. Okay. If you have evangelism, you like to share the word of God. That's a great time. Now, does that mean that you can do that with every single person? You don't always get that opportunity. Um, St. Francis of Sia says, share the gospel at all times and speak if you have to. Okay? Show the love of God. All right, the third way, and this is not an all-inclusive list. This is just some things that God put on my heart, is go on missions. All right? Downtown Hope Center needs weekly helpers. Okay? And it is a wonderful, wonderful ministry. I have seen several people in our congregation already there. We could use more. Okay? My kids love going there. Ellen, the little redhead walking around the board a second ago, she likes to be the jammer. She says, I'm jamming. She's putting jam on the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. She's jamming, and she's steadily dancing as she does it. Okay? But that's just the way she rolls. All right? Norvik. Norvik team. We're going to Norvik this year. Okay? Greg's our leader, our fearless leader. If you would like to go to a um, stateside mission trip, a lot of times people go on mission trips thinking that we're going to bless those people. Well, guess what? You're the one that gets the blessing. I guarantee it. And you come back and you are on fire. You're ready to take on hell with a water pistol. 
okay? And the third one here is international missions, okay? For the first time in the history of Clearwater Church, we are, as a church, going to the country of Bolivia in October, okay? Everyone is qualified to go, everyone, all right? So pray about that one. That's, that's, a, that's a, going to be an amazing trip. I'm so excited about it. Um, I've prayed and said, God, can I go? Thank you. <laughs> so uh, we will be having an informational meeting on that, and there will be flyers coming out and that sort of thing. But start praying now. Pray if God would have you go, all right? And if you can't go, guess what? There's other things you can do and still be a part of that mission team. You can offer prayer support. Because every single person going down there needs prayer to be covered. Uh, there's a different culture, different world, basically, South America. Um, there's a lot of things that can happen, okay? Each person needs to be covered in prayer. So if you're going, you need to have a prayer partner praying for you every single day, all right? Maybe you can't physically go, but you have the financial means to send someone. You know, donate money. The trip's going to be about $3,000 a person, okay? We're going to do lots of fundraisers, and we're going to be asking people directly, hey, can you help us, all right? Also, you can supply materials that are needed to minister. Uh, when we go to Bolivia, we're going to be doing uh, some construction stuff. We'll be doing some trail clearing. It's at a uh, youth camp, youth recreation camp that we'll be working. Um, any amount of luck, we'll get to build a bathhouse. Well, you need hammers, you need nails, need tape measures, you need nail pullers for when you hammer the nail in wrong, and things like that, okay? As I wrap this up, it says, when we were in darkness, God sent his light. When we were dead, God sent his life. When we were in despair, God sent his love. When, where we were in sin, God sent his son. I pray you never get over the fact that God died for you that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And I need to ask you this. What base are you on? Where do you stand? Pray about that one and let God lead you.